I think in particular the kinds of images on these, these vessels is really interesting, not just because of the mythological content that is often celebrated, um, but as I said, it's presenting sort of the ideology of this era. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's a quote daily life scene or a mythological scene, you're, you're able to make observations about what they thought about different kinds of people. I'm Brian Burns. I'm an archaeologist, and my research is based in Greece. I teach at Wellesley College, and I'm a professor of classical studies there. Here we are are. in Norfolk, Massachusetts, with Brian Burns on a blustery fall afternoon, Mm -hmm. seated around Pots the Game. I think you mean Pots! That is what I mean. It is, yeah. for, for those who are confused by that, yeah. it is all capitals with an exclamation, exclamation point. And um, welcome, Brian. Thank yes, you. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So we're sitting around Pots the Game. It is probably not known by anybody who is listening to mm. this episode. It is a, I would say, boutique production. Yeah. Obscure. A, yes, obscure. I was given a link from Brian. Yes. Uh, his suggestion was let's play this game together if we're going to do this kind of an episode. And we'll dig into that, like why why this game in just a moment. But um, just to give folks a background, I had to dig up an old local newspaper article about a professor who was retiring and yeah. producing a board game about... In Scotland. Ancient, I, I believe in northern UK, oh, somewhere. Okay. Uh, okay. It could have been Scotland, uh, okay. you know, if you want to go up that far. I, I, don't, I don't really remember. In Greater exactly. Britain. Somewhere on that <laughs> island. And um, so we were, you know, in, in conversation about how to get this game here. I found yeah, this guy yeah. and I said, I said, can, can you send it to me? And mm-hmm. long story short, and a few wire tran- transfers later, <laughs> the game showed up. Yeah. And in, in uh, full working order. And um, yeah, it's actually in great condition. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It sits in front of us on the table. It takes up a small footprint. The components mm-hmm. are... Um, Simple, modest, yeah, very but, minimal, and but, classic. Uh, but it has it has a very much like you know Parker Brothers vibe, yeah, on the table. Um, so, why did you suggest this this game, Brian? So I don't remember how I came across it, but when I did, I thought, well, this would take a lot to track it down. So mm-hmm. I'll have Jordan <laughs> if he has a network. Um, I didn't know it would take you literally to the creator, but. Um, Pottery is something that is just integral to archaeological work. So we deal with ceramics all the time in my excavation work. Um, it's a fundamental part of the courses I teach. Um, and it, I think it also has this presence for ancient Greece and museums. It's kind of mm. what people expect to see in the Greek and Roman part of a museum are black and red pots and marble sculptures. Yeah. So one of my thoughts when we sat down with this game... Um, was so I was let me tell a little brief anecdote of my own here. Mm-hmm. So when I was an undergraduate, I was privileged enough to take part in a study abroad program. I did this satellite thing through the University of California called UC London, and our little flats that we lived in were right by the British Museum. And one of the courses we took was an art history course taught by a classicist, where we would go to the museum and we looked at lots of objects and uh, different artifacts and things like this. Amongst which, many of them were pots. And the thing that I remember is that this person was just the the instructor whose name I don't remember, unfortunately, but they were a wonderful teacher and. They were just mad 
about pots, you know, uh, just so enthusiastic about it. Uh, so I have very vivid memories of viewing some of these objects um, in person and being struck by the sort of beauty of the decorative figures on them and also the size of them and the way in which they were so like well-preserved, like intact. Uh, but so my question, which is a very roundabout way of getting to the question is, why, from an archaeological perspective, like why are pots so important? Why do so many of them survive? Mm-hmm. Why... Or what maybe can we learn about um, the material cultures of the ancient Greek world from pots that we don't learn from other forms of decorative art that survive? Right. Yeah. So um, I'll talk about ceramics first in okay. general, just as a category. And this is especially true for Mediterranean antiquity, um, that pottery survived very well in the archaeological record. So a lot of kinds of objects um, are more easily recycled. Mm. So metal objects you melt down in, if, if it's, it's a resource still. Yeah. Um, so whether it's a precious metal or not, iron or bronze, um, you can always use that again. And so there, that kind of recycling happens a lot. Buildings built of nicely cut stone are frequently taken apart mm. and reused. Sculptures are often squared um, the mm-hmm. nicely carved sculpture mm-hmm. is made into something more rectangular, so it can be used as building material um, or um, melted down in a way into plaster. So pottery, you break it and you just have these pieces, these fragments um, that are going to stay there and are of mm-hmm. no value. So when when a building collapses, people are going to leave the broken pottery behind. Uh. So that's why it's this key part of, um, of archaeological work is because it's so well-preserved and because it changes over time and across regions. Mm. So their local styles, their developments. So it's a cornerstone to chronology. Then within the Greek world and especially the classical world, the imagery and the artistic styles of archaic and classical Athens, it really is a, a period and a, a sort of phenomenon um, where a lot of artistic energy was put into this material, again, and it survives, whereas um, sculptures of the era are largely often fragmentary. Mm. Wall paintings was a huge art, but very, very little preserved. Um, so classical Athens, where we have all this literature, all this mm-hmm. um, historical right. texts, um, it's just a big cultural output, hmm. um, and and the ceramics, the especially the black figure and red figure styles, preserve a lot of these representations that are related to both how people lived, hmm. um, related to literature, especially through mythology and religion. So you can study different aspects of uh, of life at that time through these representations. That's so fascinating. You mentioned red and black figure. Right. So that's one of the... Cat- we have a bunch of cards here in this game, and they all represent a single pot, and the pots have different qualities. And one of the different qualities they have is uh, many of them are red and, 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 and or, where they're not both, but red or black. Mm-hmm. But can you say a little bit more for listeners, like what the difference is and why they have those names? Sure. Yeah. Um, these are not the only styles, okay. and they're not... Um, mm-hmm. They're most famous from Athens, as Hal put it. Okay. And this is true of, of pottery in general, um, that again, there are many regional styles and they're overlapping and complex. But mm. in general, um, in Athens, you have first during the archaic period, and I'll give some dates that are like 700 to 500 BCE. Okay. Black figure is the most common. And so those are 
um, sort of silhouette figures. The people on in the scene will be black bodies on a reddish-orange background. Okay. And then at the end of the archaic period, there's a great period of experimentation, lots of different things going on. And coming out of that, let's just say around 500, uh, the red figure style becomes much more prominent. Mm. Um, and so now you're going to have red figures against a black background and a lot more painted detail. Again, these aren't the only ones. Um, there's also white ground fig uh, pottery, um, which lets you do more with color. Mm. So those are three basic types. Okay, interesting. Um, and is it fair to say, I mean, just going off of some of the comments you made there in response to my sort of very broad question about pots and their singular importance to archaeologists, is it fair to say that some of those uh, topics or subjects of representation that you named about uh, mythology, religion, etc., that those are that there's like a wider or richer array of subjects being portrayed in these kinds of pots than we might even find in sculptures or wall paintings, which are some of the other things you mentioned. If we had wall paintings, we would have a lot more. Okay. Um, so the the references, the descriptions that we have of wall paintings mm -hmm. are incredibly complex. Oh wow! Okay. Um, the sculpted scenes can be with multiple figures and can be can tell a story um but we don't have those preserved mm. nearly as often yeah um so so just the numbers of scenes that we have uh from these kinds of pots are, are really make this a, a primary category of evidence yeah. for studies of iconography mm -hmm. um, and what is frequently called daily life, right? which um, is sort of a problematic term if you think of it as a straightforward representation. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah, These, yeah, of yeah. course, are artistic constructed images yes. yeah. um, that are, are setting forth ideological ideals. It would be like saying right. Breaking Bad on TV is a representation <laughs> of daily life. Well, for some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I've been a little quiet during these this series of mm. questions because I, Brian and I, listeners should know, have worked together uh, frequently mm -hmm. over the last seven years wow. in the field at a dig site that Brian co-directs. Right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that project? Sure. And not necessarily our work. Our work is focused on digital stuff. Occasionally we're doing stuff with pottery, but... Um, the the project, I think, is an important piece of your background that folks should hear about. Yeah, definitely. It, it gets a lot of my attention these days. <laughs> um, so together with colleagues based in Canada and Greece, um, we have a, excavations at a site called Elion, and it is in the region of central Greece, just north of Athens. My primary expertise is not the archaic and classical period. It's actually the Bronze Age. Oh. And what we excavate at Elion includes tombs and houses of the late Bronze Age. But then there is an important archaic and classical phase of activity mm. at the site where we, we don't have a lot of Athenian pottery, uh, but we certainly have a lot of material of that same era. And again, it's that kind of like the, the regional bounds and the activities that are going on in a certain place um, will be characterized very much by that ceramic evidence. So these the pots in this game... This takes place in Athens, yes. ancient Athens. And so they're mm -hmm. going to be all Athenian exa examples of Athenian location pottery. Yes. And, and from a first glance, I'll say it looks like every all the images of pots are the vessels that would be made in Athens. But back to an earlier question about mm -hmm. why they're preserved so yeah. fully. Um, so why are they you know intact compared to fragmentary materials? Um, a lot of these vases 
uh, that end up in places like the British Museum mm-hmm. or the Metropolitan Museum. Mm-hmm. They're probably coming from tombs in Italy uh-huh. where there was a, a great demand for Athenian-made vessels. Mm. So anytime you see a vase that is not broken, yeah. uh, it probably came from a tomb, unless it's small. Mm. But, but larger vessels will always get broken along the way. And just statistically, there are many built tombs or carved tombs that were excavated in Italy, especially in the 19th century, um, that sort of supplied the, the art market at that time of these major museum acquisitions. And do those those tombs that collect these um, objects from Athens and Italy, do those date to the time of the objects, or is this a much they later do. development? No, so no, no. The, no. Oh, so, the, so the vases and pots were produced as like an export commodity at the time? Yes, and there okay. are even certain styles that seem to be designed for that market in oh, Italy. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. So Interesting. what does it mean when we find Athenian pottery a hour and a half drive north of Athens at, at Elyon? Well, it means that it's um, we're so close that there that it, you might expect more trade. So, so there's this interest in acquiring Athenian-made pots all over the Mediterranean. The fact that we're so close is probably means there's something of a, a conscious limit to that in some ways. Hmm. Um, so it, it still ends up in lots of nearby tombs, hmm. uh, but a site like Allian, because of what's going on there. Uh, it seems important to use locally made material hmm. more than things that you could get pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, what was special about Athens in its ability to do what it hit, what it apparently did become very famous for its pottery? Mm-hmm. So a key aspect is the clay of the area. So the region that Athens is in is called Attica, mm-hmm. and um, all of these pots could be called Attic black figure, Attic red figure. Um, because they're using this clay that um, has just a nice plasticity. It's, it's you know, well-suited for making vessels on a wheel, but also its mineral content brings out this really lustrous black color and, and quality. So when it's often called a black glaze, um, but it's not a glaze like other periods of, of pottery making. It's actually the clay itself that becomes this black and red color when produced under the right circumstances. So it's this expertise, not only of the potting the vessel and the painting of it, but it's the firing in the kiln that's a critical factor to bringing out this mm-hmm. characteristic. And it was, a, a, I guess, a, a place that had enough luxury time or something to, to be able to figure these kinds of things out? Yes, and just to excel in them. Mm-hmm. That, that um, the visual arts, the, yes, material culture was of interest and importance. And so alongside literary productions, for Mm. example, there's just a lot of space and energy and money invested Mm -hmm. in this work. Why is it important for us to be talking about these ancient materials today? Well, um, I think one reason it's important is because it's all around us um, in these elite settings Mm. as and presented as an, if not the origin point for Western arts. And so I think it's there and it has this kind of cultural cachet that deserves to be questioned and interrogated. I think in particular, the kinds of images on these, these vessels is really interesting, not just because of the mythological content that is often celebrated, um, but as I said, it's presenting sort of the ideology of this era. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's a quote daily life scene 
or a mythological scene, you're, you're able to make observations about what they thought about different kinds of people. So gender and age are really important in distinguishing between people, um, what they would call Greeks versus non-Greeks, different kinds mm. of you know, um, Mediterranean cultures, uh, the way that they're presented. These are all just like it's an interesting system to look at. And I think it's important both, as I said, because of the cultural capital that it has, but also because it is a system. You can sort of see the way mm. that distinctions are made and, yeah. and you can carry that kind of analysis to the world around us. So when you're looking at pottery and you're asking young people to become familiar with this process as, as well, I immediately started thinking about all the training that I've had to go through just to interpret contemporary media, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So what's what's that like? What What kind of ideas do you try to impart to people who are learning how to interpret this, not as like a literal representation of ancient life, but as one that is idealistic or has some sort of fantastic overlay. Mm -hmm. So I I think you need a certain amount of um, cultural context. So thinking about the the history of how a Greek city-state exists alongside other areas. Um, so, So everyone needs at least some kind of positioning into how societies are, are built up and the fact for, for this, again, this material, um, it's really important to think that there's a lot of interest and energy invested in, in making these vessels, but none of it's done by people who would consider themselves Athenian citizens. Mm. Um, a lot of this is done by um, people who move from elsewhere. And even if their families are in Athens for generations, they don't become citizens, mm. sort of a closed system. Mm-hmm. So just that kind of status of the the artistic producers versus the users mm-hmm. is a really mm-hmm. important thing to think about. Yeah, wow. Um, and alongside that, the technology of the production is an essential thing to, to appreciate because, as I, I said, like it's the material itself and the way that it's um, sort of changed from clay into a pot. Um, that's what defines a set of options in terms of colors that you've got black and red and you can add white and you can add a purplish Mm -hmm. red, but that's about it. Mm. So if you think about sort of the constraints on a craftsperson, Mm -hmm. I think that's a, an important parallel to, to something like modern media. Yeah. When you want to think about what's the format, what's inherent um, to the genre or the medium um, and how does that shape what we're looking at? Yeah, that's a good point. So were they produced by quote unquote, uh, non-Athenian, but quote-unquote free laborers, like crafts and guild model kind of a thing? Or what's probably neither of those things, right? It's different. So It's what? different. There's an assumption mm-hmm. um, about a workshop as um, so, sort of the classic model, um, which is, is based on, in part at least, on things like how Renaissance arts yeah. were produced. Um, but there's this an assumption for generations in scholarship of um, a, quote, master painter mm. and lots of assistants okay. or apprentices who learn by mm-hmm. assisting. And you can see these sort of, there, there's a big network that has been identified through following stylistic trends mm-hmm. among different painters. And then also th- there's a really interesting perspective in um, how the painters identify themselves and give clues to Mm. their relationships with each other, including their rivalries. And and let me just say that, again, there's a whole system that assumes 
every pot is produced by a single artist. Mm. When in fact, the, the potter may be the same or a different person as the painter. And a, ve- a vessel may be painted by several people, mm. Um, mm. the main scene versus subsidiary parts. Um, and sometimes a painter or a potter will sign their name to a vessel, but not always. And so museum presentations will always say the artist is um, a, a certain name, a, a Greek name, mm-hmm. or a sort of made up by scholars name, which might sound kind of bizarre. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like they always have the word painter mm-hmm. in them. Mm-hmm. So the pan painter mm-hmm. is a sort of scholarly yeah. construction the of a persona. Poet. Yes. Right. Um, or they'll say unknown. You see a lot of mm-hmm. that in museums, artist unknown. Yeah. Were these, do we know if these were being commissioned? We don't know for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So large elaborate vessels, maybe. Um, a lot of the writing on vessels will have names, but they don't necessarily say, um, you know, who it's for, mm. but they'll call out to mm. the people around yeah. them. So some rich family or person might say, we want a pot that look that has this motif on it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Just to return briefly to, to my question. So the reason I was asking, I was curious because there are, I know there's unfree labor happening right here. Oh, right? oh yes. And so I was curious if that on those like pools of unfree labor intersected with this production chain for the pots in any way, or in a, even a direct way of painting, or if it was not those sort of decorative tasks or I was curious about For that. sure. It's part of the network. Um, there's enslaved labor yeah. throughout all aspects of, of Greek antiquity. And for classical Athens, we know there are a lot of enslaved people making up um, the workforce. Um, for pottery in, in particular, I don't think we have a lot of um, specific evidence. We have representations of workshops which see, include people of different status. Mm. And so mm. you could definitely say, oh, here's a group of workers these ones are, are shown, you know, sort of doing more menial tasks and mm-hmm. in a way where scholars will sometimes say, this seems to be an enslaved person, whereas this seems to be someone who's, you know, a, a higher level. Right. Of... Seems like a lot of people don't know that there were slaves in ancient Greece. Mm. Yes. Does that parallel with, the like, is, are there slaves represented on pots? Like, are, is there a lot of iconography that, sh- that mm. shares that history? So there's not a, a lot of iconography. There's some. Um, for the Roman world, it's much more clear, both oh. in terms of imagery and um, the way people are described. Roman, there's just more written in the Roman world. Oh, okay. There are more inscriptions, um, and there's more inscriptions about people who are either still enslaved or especially freed people. That's a big uh, category mm, in the Roman mm-hmm. world. Manumission, the freeing of slavery of enslaved people, also happens in the Greek world, and, and there are records of that quite a lot. But again, um, there just aren't as many of these particular representations of people while they're still enslaved. So there's there's an interpretation that's often going on there. Yeah, interesting. I, it, I also maybe read at one point, and this is maybe a little off topic, but since we're talking about this, this the history of slaves in, in ancient Greece, I maybe read at some point that there were different types of slaves. Like if you became indebted to someone, you could become a slave to work off your debt, and then you would be freed when that was done right so this is a key thing about the development of athens and democracy in athens is that um in the archaic period there's a a ruling an agreement 
um, that an Athenian citizen cannot be enslaved for their debts. So mm. that's part of your status within Athens as a perks. citizen. Yes, mm. um, is that you cannot that you cannot be enslaved within your community. Mm-hmm. The people who are enslaved in Athens are they could be Greek, but they tend to be they're definitely non-Athenian by that very status. Um, so, mm-hmm. so it's an important, mm. right? Like that, that's a interesting, a, a sort of coherence to citizen status yeah. versus non. Um, and, and just the, it's a key category for social stratification. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Let's talk about the, the game sitting in front of us a little bit. Would mm-hmm. you expect this type of subject matter that like, for instance, heavy subject matter, like we're talking about now, right? Mm-hmm. Enslaved peoples to be represented? Would you want that to be represented in a game like this? I would want it to. I think it's an important category within the representations um, on POTS. Mm. I would also want it to, just looking at the game, I can see that it's based in Athens and it has these four key um, yes. spaces within the city. Um, and they are the the Agora, which is the main commercial and political center. Um, the Karamikos, which is the place of crafting for pottery. Uh, the Penix, which is, again, a place of assembly for, for politics, and the Acropolis, which is a key um, sanctuary space. Mm-hmm. So these are really important topographical locations within the ancient city. They're important archaeological sites. Like, that's great. That tells me that this is an informed perspective mm. on the city of Athens. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so it would be cool to see that carried forth to um, what kind of people are in these spaces, not just Athenian citizens. Mm-hmm. And another sort of a related aspect of that is that full citizenship status is something that is only for males born to citizen families. Mm, right. Um, so these are landowning men. Um, yeah. Does, so don't again, they have to be have served in the military too? Is that, did I read it's, that? It's an more? expected part of their okay. Yeah. Their yeah citizenship status. I mean, that's another yeah. key category that I remember. And again, I'm not I'm not an, an expert by any stretch but I do have some imprint memories from being a young person looking at pots in the British Museum. And I remember a lot of male figures. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So I remember being very impressed by like the representations of masculinity that were on the pots uh, and that being central to what they were seemed to be up to visually. Uh, are women also an underrepresented group within the sort of iconography of pots or are there plenty of female figures in pots that I just don't remember? There are plenty, but probably less than 50%, okay. especially for certain shapes and genres. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that skews uh, in terms of the, the ones that are more nicely painted and the ones that end up in Etruscan tombs mm. or in museums, um, they are specifically for designed for drinking parties. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're vessels that are drinking cups. Mm-hmm. They're uh, the big crater where you mix wine and water. Um, the symposium uh, in Greek society. And this, again, is uh, an activity that is for men. It is um, notionally for citizen men, Mm. so elite, or at least middle class and elite um, groups. And the imagery on on those vessels also tends to reflect a lot of that activity. So if you just looked at the pots, you might think like, yes, where are all the women? Because they're not in those settings. Mm-hmm. Um, and another part of sort of Athenian society that gets emphasized or, or represented in those kinds of contexts is the, um, not just the masculinity. Well, 
it's masculinity in many different spheres, mm-hmm. um, including athletics mm-hmm. uh, and including erotics. Right. So same-sex mm-hmm. relationships are, mm-hmm. are highlighted uh, within that set of images more than men and women. Right. That was not was th- that wasn't really like a taboo in that time N- period. Not a taboo. Um, there's even an expectation that. Um, that men are participating in same-sex relationships or erotics um, alongside marriage. Right. So you can talk about homoerotic activity, but to talk about homosexuality or heterosexuality doesn't quite fit Mm. uh, because people aren't expected to have a sort of identification. Uh. Um, There's all kinds of sexual activity. Is it, would it be, I mean, I have no idea. It's just a shot in the dark. Would it be fair to say that um, even to an extent, in some cases, uh, same-sex partnerships might have been eroticized purely more than uh, heterosexual or, or, or because it's more of a reproductive relationship in many ways, like around the household and like... There are lots of ideas, but yes, yeah. there are certainly texts and images that celebrate the male relationships mm-hmm. um, as as, yes, not related to family and reproduction, yeah. but, um, perhaps more intellectual, mm. um, mm. you know, more th- there's more men will have more in common with their male partner, mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. of all these social differences. Um, so, so those are celebrated, but in, in many of those depictions and, and descriptions, it's again, a sort of particular relationship. So it's an older male and a younger mm-hmm. male. And there is this idea of mentorship, along with the romance and erotics. Um, so again, it takes on a, a tone where it's like what they have in common is not just about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It can be the sort of like the athletics, the hunting, the military, right. the right. intellectual life, um, all of those things, which by sort of notional design, women are, are not participating in because of their primary identification with the home and the family. All manner of uh, like dimensions of social life were homosocial because of the exclusion of, of women. Yes, I wouldn't say there's a literal excuse, uh, exclusion okay. hmm. um, because there are texts that say that, that would lead you to believe, you know, elite women don't leave the house. Uh, ah. And that is clearly an exaggeration. Okay. Um, but things like Athenian theater, uh, theatrical performance, that again is something that is written by men, performed by men, mm. uh, to an audience that is notionally male. Mm. There probably were women in the theater, but that's not, con- it's still considered a citizen okay. space and therefore defined by that masculine identity. Interesting. What women are depicted on these vessels? Mm. It, it all depends on the scene. So if it's a symposium scene, if it's a drinking scene, then women are there as servers and entertainers. Okay. And that will include prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a, a domestic scene, a home scene, you'll have images of women weaving together or just women in the household, um, women fetching water from the water mm. fountain is, is a big thing, the fountain house. And then mythological scenes, we can you know go all over and sure. have our, our dramatic figures. So how about hesitations? For a game like this, given all the things we've just discussed, are there con- do you have concerns? About sure. Um, I guess I have, I have two sets of you know concerns or just things that I, I'm going to be have my eyes open for. Um, for the ancient world, it's going to be that question of like, 
who are the figures? Are they mm. just citizen males or are they others? Do we get a, a more, a broader sense of who participated in Athenian life? And then for the vessels and the way they're presented, I'm assuming that this is going to follow the trends of museums where um, the interest is in the imagery and the artistry and not on where the pot was found, where it came mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a part of museum collections versus archaeological work, um, where in an excavation or from a scholarly perspective, the, the way I think about an object is going to be about who used this and, and why was it important. And its archaeological context is a fundamental part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something knowledge that we are often deprived of mm. from the kind of intact, beautiful vase, especially if it's in a not a Greek or an Italian museum. If it's been exported from its country of origin, then we're likely not to have that information. This is a pretty common, it's not like the most common, but it's not uncommon theme for tabletop board games. Have you ever played any other board game dealing with the ancient world, especially ancient Greece, that you can remember? Ancient Greece? No, not not that I remember. Okay. Um, you know, I grew up in the... 70s um so like which i think is a classic board game era for sure um monopoly and and risk Mm -hmm. is probably feels like the most historical kind of game that we would play at that time Um, yeah and now now risk has like 20 different versions that you can there's a legacy version that you like destroy the board and remake the map as you play it you so you mentioned uh, risk and monopoly and these types of games growing up have you played board games or any other types of games as an adult or yeah, it's it's not something I do much now. Um, but as a kid, it was a really important part of, I don't know, summer um, if we weren't outside. Mm, right. On you know we were probably playing uh, Clue. Um, mm, I love Clue. You know, I love Clue. Yeah, that's a that was a good one. Um, I, was, I was thinking about sort of the like the educational aspect of this. We had a the neighbor's dad bought us a game um, that was called like the the metric game. Because oh. in the seventies, like yeah, everything sure. was going to go metric, right? If um, only. So we needed to learn. <laughs> yeah. um, that was kind of that's uh, that was one summer that probably <laughs> didn't get played very much, did it? You know, it, we get, we gave it a good, <laughs> a fair shake, I think. But, but then moved on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, back to um, clue. Yeah. yeah. Well, pretty good. I think we should give pots a shot. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. get into it. Now it's time for the two minute teach where we explain the game briefly, go over the rule set, and talk about a few key aspects of the game before we sit down to play it. In Pots, players step into the world of ancient Athens as pottery collectors. As they navigate the shifting favor of the gods and visit famous locations throughout the city, players engage in a variety of auctions, working to outbid each other in a fast-paced race to collect the largest and most cohesive display of clay vessels. At its core, Pots is an auction bonanza. Every element of the game is designed to support the central activity of bidding on pots, which players hope to add to their personal collection. The main board features a simple roll and move mechanic, which generates random events, such as different types of auctions, opportunities to visit locations like the Acropolis, and unexpected rewards or punishments in the form of God's Intervention cards. At the end of the game, players score points according to the number of pots they have managed to collect. All of the pots in the game are categorized in three ways, according to their social use, method of decoration, and the content of the imagery displayed on them. For example, you might bid on a pot categorized as red figure storage everyday life. 
These labels incentivize players to specialize their collections by acquiring groups of pots that share these categories. For example, a group of black figure drinking mythology vessels. These sets offer further points bonuses and help direct players' decisions as they consider their bids at auction. POTS features six different varieties of auctions, which modify the type of bidding that occurs each time an auction is called. The player who triggers the auction phase is required to choose from the currently available auction types. These options only refresh after all six types have been chosen at least once, and they range from traditional open bid auctions, where players take turns offering ascending bids until only one bidder remains, to sealed bid auctions, where players submit a single bid in secret and the highest bid wins. This creates moments of strategic decision-making as players negotiate the tension between the dwindling options for auction types and the perceived desirability of the current market of pots. For example, in the fixed price auction, the active player will always have the opportunity to claim the current lot by forcing the highest bid. Good for that pot you really want. While the spoof auction, which is loosely inspired by an ancient coin game, results in a more random outcome. Good for less desirable pots. As players expand their personal tableau of pot cards, additional fun can be had by reading the text on the back of each card. This text provides historical information about each of the pots in the game, all of which are drawn from the real-life holdings of the British Museum. While this information is only loosely connected to the game's mechanical systems, learning about the history of these objects provides a sense of immersion for players throughout the game. God's Intervention cards are the game's primary source of thematic overlay. When a player is prompted to draw one or more of these cards, they will be presented with some light flavor text, usually describing a scene in the social life of an ancient Athenian. For example, they may need to attend a funeral for their neighbor who developed a life-threatening illness, causing them to lose their next turn. Or they may have claimed a public victory in an important foot race resulting in prize money, or even the award of a free pot. In some cases, the God's Intervention cards will require players to deal penalties or rewards to each other, providing fun moments of thematic player interaction. The God's Interventions also function mechanically as the game clock. When the final card is drawn, the game will immediately come to a conclusion. Another thematic highlight of POTS can be found in special zones of the main board called Business Areas. These include the Acropolis, the Keramikos, the Agora, and the Penix. If a player lands on a space that allows them to visit one of these areas, they will spend the next few turns reaping the special rewards that area provides. For example, a visit to the Keramikos will provide the player with a highly discounted opportunity to acquire a new pot, which thematically aligns with the historical focus of this area as a pottery manufacturing hub. A trip to the Acropolis will net the player a fresh pile of God's Intervention cards, which, as we were told by our guest, is another great commentary on that site's centrality to the spiritual life in ancient Athens. The person who was most recently in Greece went first. Yeah. That would mean it would be you. I think so. I was there in July. Yeah. yeah. So I also pre presume that paper money was not a thing? Correct. Okay. <laughs> this, this That's why there's a coin on each. Yeah. Oh, forced exchange. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. 54. Oh! oh! I was about to go. I should have gone on 55. I thought 55, I'll get there. But then when it was clear, I thought, oh, I'll ride this longer. Like, oh, this is a great game. Yeah, it's fun, right? You are accused of being the son of a non-Athenian mother. 
Mm. Lose your next turn defending your court stat- your status in court. Wow. Brian's wow. got some yeah. drachma burning a hole. Well, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Headed up top. In what world sure do you get to choose among the gods' interventions? There's a lot of mention of friends. Mm-hmm. Is friendship like a really key yes. social virtue? Yes. Your friendships are your friend or an enemy, according to uh-huh. Wow. You know what? Actually... In the spirit of Plato, Jordan, you can take any pot from the face-up pool. Wow. Nice. That's Gift so from your best friend. Nice. Nice, <laughs> That's how badly he doesn't want to give us a drop. Thank you. That's, I got a really nice pot from my friend Steve. <laughs> We just finished yeah. playing pots. It Who was won? A <laughs> good the guest time. won. The guest Doctor Brian Burns was victorious, but barely. But well, barely. that's true. It was close, but in the end, it, all that matters is who wins. Right? It was it was a close call, and um, I think uh, Brian's pot collection certainly looked most impressive on the table. Yeah, so it was it, sprawling. It was a sprawling, sprawling collection. If it had um, been in physical form, it would have needed several rooms. And clearly, I would rather have pots than drachmas. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, hey. well, I was still rolling in the money. Yeah, you did have a lot of money. I'm actually, I was shocked to find out how much money you had at the end. I would have been wantonly spending that money if I were you. Yeah, well, that's why my pot collection was mm. the most inferior because I didn't right. have as many opportunities. Smallest, but never inferior. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quality um, pieces. They, yeah, yeah, that's right. One of them was gifted to me, even. By a friend, yeah. Yeah. That's very right. nice. Yeah. That was you, Steve. Mm-hmm. My best friend. My best friend in Athens came over and gave me a pot. Pots were exchanged on the basis of friendship, which we found out is an important virtue, social virtue. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you're either, what was it, friend or enemy? Um, yes, according to some dialogues. If you're not my friend, you are my enemy. Mm. Um, but another wrinkle to throw in there is that normally that kind of exchange would be coded as erotic oh, or romantic. Really? In- intimate, shall we say. Oh. Yeah. Well, so perhaps. Particularly around pots or just any kind of gift giving? I think any kind of gift giving. Any kind of gift giving? Yeah. Would it be plausible to give an erotic pot as a gift? Sure. Oh, cool. Wow. Yeah. An erotic gesture Yeah. using an erotic pot. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Well, that was, I didn't feel erotic when, when that happened in the game. It was just more of like a... Pots is not a very erotic thing. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, now that we're looking at lots, lots of images, I don't, I don't see anything the slightest bit intimate mm, yeah. amongst oh, our, well, our visual material. Nevertheless, even if, even if the pots themselves, it, it's not the most erotic of games. I, I, I commented at one point that I felt like I was paying bills and didn't love that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Not an erotic activity. Yeah, it's like, mm. So is that, do you think, pot, or are there pots with that sort of subject matter in the British Museum? There are definitely hmm. some, there, there are lots of um, sympathetic scenes with, let's just say, intimate c- encounters or mm. couples. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's some pornographic images as well. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. And this is probably the game designer's attempt to make it a little more family friendly. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, if, if we look at the ones that are coded symposium, even, they're, um, they're very tame. Because amongst those are also images of just like the raucous party that was mentioned in mm-hmm. one of the 
the gods' interventions. Is it possible that it would just be like the other side of this object might have something a bit more titillating? And they yes. just turned it to the sort of... Exactly. Yeah, okay. Interesting. The uh, banal side. Yeah. So what is the story of this game? Mm. The story of this game is sadly less about pottery um, and more about social interaction or, yeah, sort of uh, everyday life in Athens. In what ways is it reflecting that life? Well, I think the, as I said, the spatial layout of the board and the, the sort of game world um, is the city and the options as we go around tend to be about shopping, um, <laughs> an auction, um, or something that leads you to one of these places. And of course, the gods interventions are where we see most of these, like your activity and yeah. athletics or political life or... Um, so in, in the Athens city, right? Because Attica was sort of Athens city state, right? Exactly. They're Politically, they're one and the same. Mm-hmm. If you live in Attica. Okay. Um, it's a much you, larger area than, yes. mm-hmm. than the city of Athens. Yes. Within, within the city district, mm-hmm. was, was, that, was the function of the city district at that point in time commerce? Plenty of people lived inside the city. There are you know, stretches of houses. Um, but within the city is commerce, religious life, political life, um, and to some extent industry, although a lot of industry is also just immediately outside of the city. Some of that comes into play in the God's Intervention cards, but it's it's really kind of light, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it mentions my neighbor's house or um, some other sort of social life, but are you lamenting the sort of lack of commentary about the social life going on in and around these pots during the exchange of money and all this kind of other stuff that the commerce part that we're dealing with. I mean, I think it would have been interesting to have more about their production Mm. somehow Hmm. or, or or the imagery we have, everything's coded in terms of the technique of decoration, the function based on the shape of the pot and the imagery um, so we have those categories, but we're not really invited to engage with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To connect them to social situations. Correct, yeah. In terms of the industry one would find in the city as opposed to outside the city, was pot manufacturing a, a kind of industry that would have been inside or outside? Would have been immediately outside. Immediately outside. So the Karamaikos, um, mm-hmm. this area of, of mm-hmm. cemeteries and ceramic manufacture, that's where the name comes from, Karamaikos. That is oh. immediately outside the largest gate into the city. And that's the main ceremonial entrance, too. Um, so for big sacred processions, they come from that edge of the city right to the Acropolis. So probably one of the only times in the game that we were invited to think about the social context in which the pots circulated as cultural objects were things like the card where your friend gave you a pot as a gift. Oh, it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Okay. When we played yesterday, we saw a couple of different cards in here that didn't come out today. So there was a card that made reference to enslavement. Something about a, mm-hmm. one of your slaves died. Dies, oh. and you have to go uh, buy a new one. You have to go buy a new <laughs> one. Yeah, pretty yeah. grim. Yeah, pretty very direct. grim. I can't think of yeah. The other, the yeah. daily life stuff is pretty divorced from the commerce activity around our pot acquisition, which is the heart of the game. Yeah, yeah. And right. so the the method for which we are acquiring pots mm-hmm. is almost, I'd say, 95% via auction. How does that figure into mm. ancient commerce? Is that, was it, were there auctions in ancient Greece? 
I don't do even know. know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I have to say, like, in terms of primary evidence, I don't know. But what strikes me is that that kind of mercantile activity is pretty is, is ideologically divorced from all of those other activities mm -hmm. within the game that are about what citizens do. Mm -hmm. So hmm. the Speeches, winning winning the contest, yeah, giving a speech, participating in um, public life, right? Yeah, the, right. the boule. Mm -hmm. um, that's all for people who identify as landed aristocratic or citizen people who don't need to participate yeah. in commerce. Um, and so the, the, both the production of the vessels and their sales to a large extent would be done by others. Wow. Mm. So even in my like Etruscan example where I was role-playing as an Etruscan elite, even mm -hmm. then I would have a broker maybe who's, a, who's acquiring these pots for me. I'm not Probably. the one who's monitoring the pot market and trying to capture the ones that I want for hmm. my collection. Right. There's a middle, per, like a middle person in so there. So maybe we're playing that. as brokers. We're pot brokers, yeah. Situation. Yeah. Interesting. Taking our, what, benefactor's money and there you go. running around the city and buying pots but from random auctions that <laughs> spring up no matter where you go. <laughs> uh, around every corner. Yeah. But pot collecting was a phenomenon? Like, like really getting beyond their like utility and just sort of like admiring them in collections or does that maybe reproduce a little bit more of the like you know modern phenomena of collecting artifacts yeah that's I, I think it is more the modern and that's what's interesting is this kind of like when you talk about acquisition yeah um yes right. that of course rings more of of museums or like but, christie's or something like that like private sure, auctions yeah. sure but it's interesting because this idea of like you have the different categories um that, that does ring true in the sense of, or, or looking at our, our collections, mm -hmm. how diverse they are. Um, when we have a set of vessels from a household, for example, they are not all matching China, mm -hmm. you know, in the sense that we would have like a set of mm -hmm. dishes. Um, they are this kind of like, it's a mix. And mm -hmm. you may have things that go together in some way. There's some really interesting tomb groups where just among six vases, you can say like, well, these two are like the exact same type and then this one thematically connects to another there's like associations among them um so that idea of like picking things mm. out to go together i think we can mm. find elements okay. of that mm -hmm. um that's cool so, so yeah. would the would these have been on display in the, in a household or in a public space of some kind i think it's more that they would be displayed through their use so it's at the symposium. Mm. You know, if, if I invite you to my drinking party, I'm going to give you each a cup that's okay. really entertaining or intriguing. And it's not until you're drinking from it that you're appreciating mm -hmm. it and you're interacting with the different decorations on different sides of it. Um, keep in mind, these these would be used in funerary mm -hmm. rituals mm -hmm. and public sacrifices. And so they would be a part of a lot of activities and a lot of the activities that, you know, we were sort of introduced to, maybe they are mm -hmm. enacted or shaped by, by the vessels as well. Yeah. So like these, like, Interesting. like a race, you might bring, you might have a meal around a, a race and you have, right. um, you, you bring your meal or parts of your meal in like some fancy. Well, and, and the, the Panathenaic race, which was mentioned is one where you get a very specific type of pot hmm. as the prize. For uh -huh. that. Mm -hmm. 
I'm trying to, I guess I want to try to contextualize it. Maybe, maybe it's not possible, but I, I'm trying to like use a frame, a contemporary frame of reference for like objects that we use today mm. for like how, how expensive are these, right? Like, mm. are these super fancy? Like I'd only mm. see these every once in a while or are they kind of ubiquitous? Like, is there something that you could kind of compare it to today, right? Like pulling out your nice China when you have like, I don't know, Thanksgiving dinner or something like that. Something like that. So our super high level of dining or mm. gift giving or dedication to the God, um, that would be done with a, a metal vessel rather than a ceramic one. Oh, so it would be a gold a precious metal to Athena mm-hmm. yeah. um, mm-hmm. if you're okay. up there. Um, so that would be like ultra elite. Ultra elite. Okay. Mm. And because of that recycling or just because of social values um, mm. at different periods of time, we don't have much of that evidence mm. from classical Athens and well, other they, places. And they kind of fall apart, right? The, the metal the metal doesn't last as long. Oh, gold lasts just fine. Oh, um, oh so I, yeah, yeah. But totally people cool. I was thinking like the, bronze and things like that. Right, right. The problem with the gold is that people take it because like oh hey gold yeah exactly <laughs> and they melt exactly. it down and <laughs> use it for something else <laughs> yeah. yeah okay interesting yeah. but so it's it's actually a debate about how the, the price of pots their their economic value and it's hard to assess that through a direct monetary equivalent but you can think about the amount of labor invested to them and, yeah and mm-hmm. so yeah. size and artistry really matters yeah we uh paid an awful lot for our pots yeah, i certainly yeah. felt that way yeah i mean i started with 200 drachma I had several opportunities throughout the game where I gained drachma for a variety of reasons. One in particular, one memorable turn to uh, the Agora, where I netted 40 drachmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, And money. I ended with t- 22 or something, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I spent several hundred drachma on so pots. That's actually another, you just brought up another point that I wanted to kind of discuss. So there's four locations that you, you men- mentioned mm-hmm. um, that were places in the city where uh, there are many of them, right? The Acropolis, namely are places that many people would know Mm -hmm. uh, or visit when, uh, you know, if they're going there today. Um, But in the context of ancient Athens, does this game do an okay job representing what might be going on in those places? Right? So for an example here, the Acropolis take the top four gods (laughs) intervention cards act on any two and discard the others. So I go there, I get these four like sort of random events that are like quote yeah. God's interventions and something happens. What is that trying to say about the kind of activity that would be happening in the Acropolis? Yeah. I think if we look at the distinctions between the places, they're headed in, in the right direction. So mm-hmm. the Acropolis is about a, a more involved interaction with the gods yep. compared to the Agora you get 30 drachmas. So it's mm-hmm. more about the mercantilism. Mm-hmm. Business and commerce. Yeah, the Karamicus, you must buy a pot. Um, mm, so it is right, about... Because that's the manuf- right, that's the workshop. Right, right. But at a discount, because you're going straight to the factory. There, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what happens in the Penex? What happens in the Penex? Uh, draw a god's intervention card, then you call an auction of two pots, choose the pots, and so that the Penex is sort of like you're dictating the terms of like the auction for... Mm. So that seems like we don't love that. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> the next is about democratic debate yeah. assembly. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay, so that seems like maybe more of a balance to the other three variable powers. Maybe it's like, so. oh, we need to engage this system in yeah. some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So, yeah, interesting. <clears throat> in what ways did this game meet your 
expectations for a game about ancient pottery? I'd say it, it impressed me that it um, is categorizing the vases by, by technique and function. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that it's not just about the imagery, which I think is a way that a lot of th- these scenes could be presented sure. as just like, here's the myth. Um, and instead, we're at least being invited to think about the symposium, storage, etc. Um, but I think it could go further. Um, so there are a lot of things that are very distinctive. So like the the white ground lekithoi, um, these oil jugs that are very particular shape, very particular imagery, mm-hmm. because they're used for funerary use. Mm-hmm. They're put in the grave. They hold the oil that you use to anoint the body of the deceased. So there's like a rich story to tell there through these pots. And I don't feel like we're really getting... There's like a, a ceremonial mm-hmm. as opposed to everyday life. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Every um, is a bit of a catch-all. If you could, this kind of leads into another question. If you could push this game further or perhaps completely design your own mm, yeah. about Athenian pottery, what sort of things would you do differently? Well, I, I would love to, yeah, delve deeper into these cases like the Lekithoi, like the sympotic drinking cups, where the imagery is about the activity. Mm. You know, it's directly mm. representing and informing mm-hmm. what you do at the symposium, what you cool. do at the grave site. So I, I think there's the, the material, the objects themselves are giving you this opportunity. Yeah. Mm. You're talking about a more complex game where there's like maybe different types of actions you can take based on the different pots you have right. available yes. to right. you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, or different yeah. sites you can only take actions in if you have a pot to use. There. Well, if, if you go to the yeah. water fountain, right. you need a hydria. You mm-hmm. need the mm-hmm. vessel that's designed right. for gathering oh, and yeah, pouring cool. water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe more of an, uh, a more robust production engine mm-hmm. where you're making pots. That would be... Uh, yeah, yeah really right fun. now there's just sort of like a boundless... <laughs> boundless supply of fine pots. fine wares that we're just bidding on. That, have, right. that are, seem sort of evenly distributed in terms of their type and function. Mm. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. There was never like a glut of drinking vessels or like, oh, I don't have any... Because it doesn't matter, right? So it's like right. if, whether it's a drinking vessel or a storage vessel is irrelevant to me. I just need to know that I can collect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can always do all the actions. But. Yeah, it, it would be cool if you your yeah. God's intervention was you need water or yeah. you're going to a funeral. You mm-hmm. need to get this yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, vessel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that circles right back though to being to, to this point that the auction and the, the just the act of purchasing is mm-hmm. really the core backbone. It's it's everything about this game mechanically, right? Yeah, yeah. and I love this this idea that we're starting to talk about of. Is this game a representation of ancient Greece, mm-hmm. or is it a mm-hmm. representation of our contemporary understanding of ancient Greece, or even how we how we like engage with the remnants of the ancient right. Greek world? Mm-hmm. Right, we tend to mechanically engage with it through similar similar yeah. ways. There are others too, though. There could be just a game where we just like observed them. Right. I don't know what kind of game that would be. That's another major way we engage with these. Right, that was my little anecdote. Was like looking at them. You know, uh, but I don't work at the museum. Hmm. If I worked at the museum, maybe I'd be collecting them a bit more. Right? Well, and as you said earlier, um, either the museum or the Christie's mm-hmm. auction house, right? It is about that collecting acquisition typology. Um, that's very mm-hmm. much like 
Yeah. You, you know, you want any kind of pot, you want to build up your collection, but if you can specialize in these different areas, mm. that's even better. Which is sort of what you're saying about the idea yeah, so that, that's sort of what your this distinction here is that that's not necessarily going on in ancient Athens, right? Right. That we're right. we're we're collecting pots only if we really have a need for them to use or them. use for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to use, to use <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. Did playing pots the game did it prompt you in any way creatively to sort of think about how people who are not archaeologists like think with think about or interact with pots? <laughs> One thing it makes me think of is what Jordan and I are working on in terms of the um, applications of digital models uh, of objects and places that we excavate at Elyon. Um, and we're trying to find ways to motivate students within a virtual setting to engage with the artifacts. And it's sort of a tension between um, we don't want to just send them out to collect mm. um, to like, you know, mm-hmm. build up to acquire. Um, to acquire, yes. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to think about ways in which they can either conserve vessels um, virtually, mm-hmm. take the fragments and put them together, or um, present them within the virtual space. Can they take them from the site and put them into a museum setting? Um, something. So there's a tension there between um, how do you get people to, to really look at the material and think about what it is versus just this kind of game um, dynamic of acquiring or mm-hmm. competing mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. collecting collecting yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i wonder if there's a parallel with what you were just sort of describing about the difference between collecting and actually engaging and the way we present objects in museums mm-hmm. right because is it enough to just like spend some time looking at these things right and 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 appreciating them because that's basically what we did here mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. we we were looking at pots the entire time yeah. we were making fun comments about them we were reading about them yeah. a little bit on the back and in some ways i absorbed some information about these certainly because you were here brian yeah. you could, <laughs> could illuminate it further that's kind of what museums do mm-hmm. in a way as a, if i'm walking through by myself most museums i should say and um do you do you think that's a fair kind of like comparison? And if so, you know, are, are there ways that museums are sort of like subverting that? And could you then bring that back to like a, a game type of activity? It's a good question. It is. So, so I, I want to challenge you. I think we played the whole game without having any compulsion to read the back. Oh, that's true. Where, so I don't think any of us read. The yeah. Back. yeah. Where I, you do get. I got a glimpse or two. But okay. Yeah. But, but it is like a museum label. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's, it's comparable mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. and it's very easy to walk through a museum and spend a lot of time looking at objects and not, not read a label. Never read the label. Yeah. Labels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think th- these are great, seem to be very good commentary on the vessels and their imagery. Certainly we didn't read, them. you know, curators <laughs> put a lot of time into writing labels. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but that's not sufficient. Yeah. Right? Well, we, we need that kind of interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, you need the the game to force you. Yeah, the back of the card is totally irrelevant to the f- flow of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. So if you're focused on how many pots you have and how much money you have and which bid you're going to choose, uh, and what everyone else is doing, you're not going to have any time or inclination to even think about reading mm-hmm. the back. I do like this idea of like having a game that makes you use the pots rather yep. than just collect them. 
that's kind of cool. Or even in a museum space, go like natural history style. Like, what if we just displayed ancient objects in like a diorama with people drinking out of them? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Instead of having them on like a plinth. Like, yeah. You know, there's yeah. probably very uh, real material reasons why you don't do that because they're delicate and they'll break. It'd be, but, it'd be funny if you had like a house sitting in front of you here. Mm. Like a diagram of a house. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the table? You can, yeah. you know, there, you only have so much space in your house. Right. And you can only, you, you can, sorry, you can only have one Hydra because there's like one spot for yeah. it, right? You right. know, right. Or, yeah. right, right, yeah. You can only have so many perfume jars, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah. maybe that's the one you can have unlimited of. Well, uh, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I've had a great time. This was uh, just a pleasure to play yeah. and learn about pots with you. Yeah, thanks thank for you having me. Much. So we just finished playing pots. Yes, and we also finished discussing pots. Yes, with Brian, it was a fun time. It was a rip roaring time. Actually, we, rip, pots is kind of a rip roaring game. Yeah. I have to say, the auctioning mechanics and the variable auctioning mechanics, like six different ways to auction, yeah, is exciting. It is pure auction pleasure. It's an adrenaline fest. Yeah, yeah. we had we had <laughs> a lot of fun auctioning things. There was a couple of moments that I think maybe some of the most suspenseful auction yeah. moments I've maybe ever had the Dutch auction in a game. Yeah. And I missed out on both of them, which yeah. was heartbreaking, but it was like, Oh, Ooh, push. Talk about push your luck. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about the auction variables is there's like different types of, you get other things later mm-hmm. in, like mm-hmm. the Dutch auction becomes a push your luck auction. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, anyways, yeah. it's clever. Yeah. I mean, it, there was six different kinds of auctions. We did them all multiple times. Mm-hmm. I guess you and I are becoming kind of like, auction fans yeah we're having a moment with it for yeah. sure so, i mean so I, it's kind of a game for us right now yeah yeah we should i was about to sort of go off on that but we yeah. that's you know, it, it's irrelevant it's, to the current yeah. <laughs> situation yeah, but we some other time we'll just, do a catch everybody should know that we like auctions. auctions yeah we've been playing a lot of auction games um but uh, I think Brian enjoyed himself. He very much enjoyed Seems himself. Seems like he had I not think, been yeah. playing games in a while. But he said he had a great time. I think we have some uh, meaningful moments, unexpected expertise, oh, and subject matter doubt, scores. Without a doubt, we had lots of meaningful moments. And there was a good deal of unexpected expertise. So yeah. let's dive into it. Let's see what we pulled out. So my meaningful moment yeah, I want you to, to start. First. Came from you. Uh-oh, I think we have the same meaningful moment. Gifting the pot? Gifting the pot. Yeah, yeah well, there we go. It. Let's talk about it. <clears throat> so this is, I mean, it was kind of a meaningful moment in that it was sweet. Yes, it you was were, sweet. You were prompted to give a pot to your best friend in Athens. Mm-hmm. The card described that situation, and if you were to follow up on that action, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to do that, what the card was requiring you to do. Mm-hmm. You had to like actually kind of say, "I'm your best friend in Athens." Yeah, right. It was it was a lovely moment, um, but for me, that aside, it's a big part of it. Yeah, great. Sure, I had a, I had a nice time. Yeah, was, was, I, I love it when games it was nice. um, encourage good behavior, mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in competitive well, environments. I have an uh, an interesting response to that. Okay. I don't think this game encouraged that. Mm. I actually don't think it was the right decision for me to make within oh, the game. Oh, interesting. Design. Right, it actually mm. wasn't beneficial. Yeah, it helped. Right. It gave you a way into the pot race. You were kind of shut out of the pot race, mm. but it went against the system of points. Mm. But it also was maybe the most meaningful moment in the game for me. Or I should put it this way: maybe the only yeah. meaningful moment. Well, so I'll hold my thoughts on okay. that front. But you continue. Yeah. Um, the the thing that sort of set it over the top for me was that it prompted brian to say a quote yeah. from plato yes. which was if you are not my 
friend, you are my enemy. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. I, I got the feeling that he didn't necessarily like necessarily agree with that statement. Sure. He was just he just was saying that that was like yeah, a, a was, school of thought yeah, in that period. This was of time. part of the discourse around friendship. Yeah. Yeah, and it just made me think pretty expansively about the idea of community in ancient Athens Mm. and you know just just life in ancient world period but also specifically Athens and this idea of like that divisive uh, you know experience of like if you're not on my side you're on the opposite side is still something we're dealing with today of course Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. it's like you know bi-party politics in, in the United States and other other countries in the world but this idea of this opportunity to bring up the community, particularly when you're in a potentially more vulnerable mm-hmm. position and, and you just don't feel necessarily secure and you're bringing me this pot and yeah. it's it's kind of like a, a nice gesture. Um, that is lovely, but it also brings up on the other side, a darker side of elitism, mm. right? Who do, who do you, are your friends? Who's in with the in crowd? Yeah, and if you're yeah. not my friend, you are not my friend. You are uh, in my enemy, yeah, right? You're my enemy, and you are a part of something. You are an other. You are a part mm-hmm. of something else, and you're you working against opponent. me. Yeah, yeah, and um, that again feeds into the sort of contemporary ideas of bi-party politics, but also mm. got me thinking about um, what seems like a really intense amount of elitism that was going on yeah. in ancient Athens. Yes. A profoundly yeah. stratified social structure. Yeah. Like, and, and yeah. really, really complicated, mm-hmm. right? To the point where we can't even really fully appreciate it or understand it. We have really good guesses well, based which, on studies. Which happens to be even more complicated and, con- and confusing because of the way in which ancient Athens historically, not in ancient Athens, but in the many centuries and and millennia since, has been put forward as the cradle of democratic... Mm -hmm. The um, the cradle of democracy. uh, ...ideologies, right, which presume a kind of egalitarianism, or at least in their modern guise, have been put forward as a pathway towards egalitarianism rather than elitism. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of profound contradiction there when you think closely and historically about the realities socially in mm-hmm. um, in ancient Athens that becomes difficult for people to, uh, or at least for me, to sort of like keep straight because it's just so, we are so inundated with the idea of ancient Greece being the cradle of democracy and then my modern sensibility about democracy, it does not make sense in ancient Greece. For so, sure. yeah. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think... You have the same one. Yeah, the same meaningful moment for me that I picked out, which is the gift of the pot. And it was meaningful for some, some of the similar reasons. Uh, so I'll start there, and then I'll talk about some of the other things that you didn't mention that occurred to me. So the friend-enemy quote that from Plato's dialogues, I think, that, uh, that Brian brought out, was interesting because it, it prompted me to think not really so much about pots. So this is interesting. This is part of what my strange relation to this meaningful moment is. It didn't really prompt me to think about pots in a more meaningful way, mm. f- for the most part, a little bit, but... It, it kind of spun me out into thinking about games hmm. and about enmity in games hmm. and how if you're not my friend, you're my enemy, hmm. right? And we're opponents. Now, as I said, in the system of this game, it's just a directly competitive game. There yeah. isn't really no room for cooperation. Right. So you're always my enemy. Even yeah. if I treat you like a friend, which I did, it didn't help me out. It helped you compete with me, you know, give you a competitive advantage. Um, so 
I thought that was interesting and that has lots of interesting things to, to say back to the comments that you were just making about mm-hmm. like bipartisan politics and how we engage with each other in games. Mm-hmm. Those games are modeling social relations in historical context. To what degree do we always hard code those contexts and those relations with like enmity? And that's our only framework for understanding them through the form of a game. And maybe that's problematic. Maybe we should unpack that or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> in this game, one of the reasons why it did stick out as meaningful for me in, per- in regards to POTS is it was one of the only moments if not the only moment in the game where two players engaged with a pot in a way that meaningfully addressed the social use of these vessels within the actual context of the history right. which they come from. Right. Right. So it was like, oh, I'm giving a pot to a friend as a gift. This was one of the functions that these objects performed. Mm-hmm. I'm gifting you a pot that signals all kinds of things about our relationship as friends, as Brian, as Brian told us, also potentially as uh, sort of partners in erotic relations or perhaps political allies or all three, right? Or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, so that I liked about it a lot, but I think what sort of flummoxes me about it is that like I shouldn't have done it. Mm. <laughs> so it's like in spite of the game's design, mm-hmm. I enjoyed this meaningful moment about pots, whereas actually for the, the and I don't mean this to be sound like a terrible like negative remark about the game, but there's really not a lot of meaningful moments in pods. No, no. In fact, there's a lot of profoundly unmeaningful moments <laughs> where yeah. you just land yeah. on a space so, yeah, and nothing, nothing happens. happens. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it was sort of like in spite of itself, yeah. I made this decision. But also, you know, like even without trying, just sort of like by accident or whatever, the game's structure, so this occurred as a choice, mm-hmm. which just makes it interesting mm-hmm. too, right? Because it was, oh, I have to pick two God intervention cards and I have to choose one. And so I chose the one that was more meaningful for us at the table as players, because it got us thinking about our own friendship, about friendship and enmity, but it was also happened to be more meaningful in terms yep. of that it helped us enact what pots were used for. Uh, but at the same time, I probably shouldn't have done it. Yeah. So I don't know. It's it's kind well, of strange. Well, and, and you know, to be fair, it's it's an it's an auction game. Yeah. It builds itself as something to be fast paced. Yes. Right. And I think when you have a fast pace, you sort of are fighting against meaningful moments. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a lot of meaningful moments if you're if you're going real fast, right? Right, because you don't have time to stop yeah. and think yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's you know, meaningful moments happen. We have a crunchy decision, mm-hmm. or we had Things a conversation, a head, right? Yeah. You know, something something yeah. happens there, and so it's not that kind of a game. It was a meta meaningful moment. You know, it was a meta meaningful moment insofar as it was a moment where I realized, oh, the game doesn't want me to do this, right? And yeah. so I'm becoming aware of the game in a way that's meaningful on its face but I'm going to make this moment more meaningful socially and historically by choosing the other one. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I love doing stuff like yeah. that in games. Yeah, it was good. Cool. So what's your uh, unexpected expertise? Uh, unexpected expertise. I had um, several things kicking around that I could pick out for this. I'm going to pick out one which stands out most most like for me, which was Brian's relating to us the way in which uh, not maybe, I don't know if he said all, but nearly all of the fully intact um, examples of ancient Greek pottery, especially from Athens, were actually the provenance of those objects is to Italy, hmm. where they were unearthed in t- tombs that, that is were cool, held yeah. by Etruscan elites. Mm-hmm. So actually that there was like, uh, they were produced as export commodities to a different part of the Mediterranean world that, that coveted these objects, these craftsmen yeah, objects, right? right? Uh, and so I just had, I just didn't know that at all. So that's yeah. really interesting to know that like most of the ancient Greek pots that you see like in the British Museum were uh, unearthed and preserved in Italy, for instance, yeah. um, makes so I sense. That was interesting. It's like the most effective use of of like an of a good, yeah. right? Is mm-hmm. by like just well, handing effect- it off to another, <laughs> like you know, effective if the object is to accumulate profit. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Um, it could be more effective to just drink out of it. Well, 
they do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so that was my unexpected so, expertise. And that also opened up for me a little bit of more role playing in the game. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. well, maybe I'm like an Etruscan buyer. Yeah. Maybe that's why we're doing all this auctioning that's and why cool I'm too. collecting. Or maybe, and then we talked to him a little bit more about that. And I was like, oh, I'm probably not the buyer. Maybe I'm a broker who like has mm-hmm. wealthy buyers in, the tr- in, uh, in Italy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that was my unexpected expertise. What was yours? Um, it, it, it really is not that unexpected. It shouldn't have been as unexpected as it was, you know, because mm. I could have just stopped and thought about it a little bit more because I've been to Greece so many times yeah. and I, you know, have been around these <clears throat> objects and read their labels and things mm. like that. And I've always known that they were useful, yeah. but to the extent that they were useful yeah. as like objects to be used mm. in the house or in a party yeah, or a party. something, right? Um I, I guess I didn't fully appreciate that until this conversation. Yeah. That kind of took a while to sink in. Mm-hmm. You know, they are very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you go into the museum, they look fragile. Yeah. They don't look like something. They look like something that I would put on my shelf and ask people to be careful yeah. with, you know. Um, but at the same time, I have seen them you know, coming out of the ground as they're being excavated. I've seen them after they've been restored. I've seen them in museum cases. I mean, I've had this, you know, insight Mm. by being a part of the project. And I've always heard, I I know I'm familiar with this term called useware, right? Where a object is as it's being used. Like for instance, a drinking cup might be used to scoop the wine for mm-hmm. for example out of a larger vessel yeah and after that happens using the handle over and over and over and over again there's one spot on that mm, cup that that right. cup that it's will kind of get worn down yeah. you know and that's one thing that i've done with that project is to like help uh visualize that mm, yeah um i even still it wasn't until i played this game with mm-hmm. brian mm-hmm. right where he's like you know, no, we're like, we wouldn't buy these things unless we had yeah. a need for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, there's that, no reason to collect. Like, oh my gosh. Like it's really to that <laughs> Red level. You're drinking. Right? Vessels, we're not just going to throw just, one in the closet. You yeah, know? Yeah. 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 It, it's, yeah. it's ancient times, right? Yeah, you don't right. have like just a surplus of space to like yeah. throw any object that you want. Or to. of objects. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. You know, the, the, the economy's tighter. And so you just buy what you need. Yeah. You use it. And uh, I mean, that's, that's it. You I know? mean, yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I loved hearing that stuff from him when we were talking about the game after and his thoughts about the kinds of ways we could make a different game about pots. I thought were just sort of super intriguing, you know, thinking about, Oh, uh, why am I collecting these red figure drinking vessels? Because once I have four of them, I can host a huge symposium. Mm-hmm. And then that gives me some sort of benefit within the game world on the map or something mm-hmm. like that. Right. But, we weren't doing anything like that. But imagine if we had been, mm-hmm. right? That would have been really cool because then you have a reason to collect the pots that's based in their use, mm-hmm. but it was like scoped appropriately to that use. Uh, you know, his big example was like the two funereal vessels, mm-hmm. which had just, they were just coded as everyday life. And there was no real sort of like um, way in which the player, unless they were somebody like Brian who knows that, would know that those mm-hmm. two vessels actually were quite unique and of a quite specific contextual use mm-hmm. uh, that had a lot of symbolic and spiritual resonance within the society. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how cool would it have been to like play the game where it was like 
if you collected a pot like that, yeah, you could use it once because you're, you're going to put it, it in, the in the tomb. It goes in the tomb. You know? yeah, exactly. And, and close so it up. It's a one-time benefit, right? but you got to burn it. Yeah. yeah but so or there was like thing, yeah. you know a pot that you know like he mentioned the hydra mm-hmm. where you, it's designed to go get water. Right. Right. That you can use. You just need one of those, mm-hmm. or maybe two. You know, one for you and one for your partner or whoever. Right. You know, to like go get water, but you can use that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That char- those the the characterization of the way those vessels would have been used in ancient times is just yeah. MIA. Yeah. Uh, which, again, the game was focused on auctioning. Yes, it was. Let's not. So, that's a good segue. Big, yeah. Let's talk about our subject matter right. scores. So, we're going to go three, two, one, and then reveal. Yes, on, on zero. On zero. Yeah. Okay. So, subject matter scores. Let's go three, two, one, two point three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's fascinating. Three. You say three. I, I said, said 2.5. You said 2.5. I have a, a heavily caveated three. Yeah, well, but, I, um, mine, mine may go lower by the end of this conversation yeah. because really it's just an auction game and the pots are just like, we could have been do- auctioning anything. Yes, that's precisely why this is like less than four for yeah. me, right? It's I like, mean, we could have been auctioning rocks. We could have been auctioning... Uh, Empire State Buildings. <laughs> you know, like we could have been, it could have been anything. Ocean liners. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they were pots. And there were ways that the game made it feel like yeah. pots, so it's well, a little there, unfair to. Yeah, the the bit. Well, okay. You want to let's talk through the. T- yeah, go ahead. Oh, you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Okay, okay. So, uh, yes, right. We could have been auctioning anything. So I did think about like maybe I'll just give this a one. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. the auction is so much the like heart of the game. Mm-hmm. The game play as a game you're playing is auctioning and set collection. Right. Mm-hmm. There are also the gods interventions cards. And the business areas on the board, which we, uh, Mm -hmm. that's where my meaningful moment came from. There's Mm -hmm. stuff in there that does give you some context clues and directions towards like the character and fabric of Athenian life. Uh, Brian was very complimentary about like three of the four business areas, how they were coded quite well to like Mm -hmm. the kinds of activities that would be happening there. So there was a real effort, I think, to engage with like, to engage with that stuff, like the social context of use. But the problem is that that was only sprinkled through. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a problem. But the thing that I noticed is that it was only sprinkled mm-hmm. through. It was not uh, built in as a fundamental aspect of the game's design. Right. Right. So if we were auctioning ocean liners, we could have had intervention cards that weren't about the favor of the gods. They could have been about like market forces and passengers or something. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, no one's buying any tickets because there's a pandemic, you know, right. or whatever. Right. Um, so that's what really pushes it down for me now i edge towards a three because i actually think you know and this is perhaps unfair to the exercises of scoring but it's a it's a um, consequence of this exercise we've been doing in the show mm-hmm. playing these games with with experts playing it with brian and thinking about like well there is actually though not if we're thinking about ancient athens but if we're thinking about like how we confront and interact with ancient Athens, mm-hmm. there is something actually quite apposite mm. about thinking about collections mm-hmm. and thinking about auctions and collecting things through an auction mechanic. So in a weird way, I feel like if this had been about like museums collecting pots and it hadn't been God's interventions, it had been like funding grants right. or like benefactors, for sure, it would be like a six or more, right? Yeah. It'd be like, oh, this is exactly how we do this. This yeah, is like totally. a perfect, you know. Totally, it would have so been very like, high. 
that really shouldn't come into play with me giving it the score. This is the score should probably be lower than three. But like I gave it the three because I, I, I kind of felt like there's something like uh, maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally snuck into the game mm. uh, that it teaches that lesson mm-hmm. about like how we engage with the ancient world yeah. through these objects well, without... I think that's a good pre- point. Without announcing that that's what it's doing. Yeah. Or, and, I, and it's, you know, it's sort of, I'm not going to sit here and try and guess whether or not that's intentional. Who cares? It's not the point really. Yeah. But, but that happened for us, right? It's a good point. I think... I wouldn't necessarily give it. I think that actually pushes me into this three area as well, because mm. I hadn't really thought of it that way. I give it a two point five for the exact same things that you said. Like the sites were kind of characteristic of yeah. the sites, and the the gods' intervention cards were gads that added some flavor, and so it did make it feel like a little bit like I was, in, you know, participating mm-hmm. in the society of ancient Greece. But everything else about it was just pure auction and could be anything else but that is a good point where it's kind of it is teaching a lesson i don't i didn't i think unintentionally you you and i have played it twice yeah the first time i did not get that lesson at all no right it took me it required the conversation with brian for it to happen so in that sense it's definitely not intentional yeah i don't think we can really give it credit for that yeah but that doesn't. I mean, again, folks, this is this is subject matter score. You get a low number. Doesn't mean we didn't have fun. I, lo- I loved this game. Yeah, and I, I say for the record, yeah. this game is yeah. super fun. I'll play yeah. it with anyone anytime yeah. I want. <laughs> it was great. Um, it was silly, and we, you yeah. know, it made it kind of gave me some some crunchy decisions when yeah. it came to like, do I how much money do I want to pay for certain things? All Yet that stuff but. still was fast paced, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like a big like even turn time. Which another thing it does, which we found kind of like meaningless was there's so many turns where just like nothing happens yeah you roll the die and you move to a space that where nothing occurs mm-hmm. um you know i don't know maybe in a weird way that does capture something about the texture of uh ancient life in Greece. Yeah. maybe there's a lot of days where just nothing just, happens oh, well, okay you know they could probably do that for that any period easy. even now yeah. right you know more games should have just like yeah. stretches of monotony in them if they're trying <laughs> to approximate real yeah. life yeah. but ebbs and flows yeah um so cool yeah great well that was a blast. Thank you, Steve, again for hey, uh, thank you, always. And uh, we will look forward to doing this again very yes, soon. We have another soon. another episode being recorded in just two days. Yeah. Well, I mean, by the time this is edited and out, maybe they'll both be edited and out. Who knows? We don't yeah, know how that's we'll going to go. But at the time of recording, we have another one coming right yeah, up. Very exciting. Yeah. This has been Subject Matter Tabletop. The podcast about board games and the subject matter that animates them. I'm Steve Gossler. And I'm Jordan Tynes. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And feel free to reach out to us at smtabletop at gmail.com. See you around the table. See you.